0: And we're up to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and we'll be reading to verse 17. So if you've got a Bible with you and you'd like to follow it, or the reading will be on the screen, but we don't tend to keep it on there throughout um, the message. If you were here last uh, week, last Sunday evening, um, Edward spoke uh, on holiness uh, from 1 Peter 1. Uh, Be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. And uh, he explained that, therefore, that wonderful word that we find often in Scripture, therefore, in view of all that Jesus has done for us, we are called to live for him. And uh, really helpfully, Edward talked about holiness not being legalism, but about love and devotion. Not a long list of the do's and the don'ts that make us holy, but seeking to be more like Jesus day by day. And so Peter goes on in his letter to encourage the believers um, to live uh, in this world as those who live for Jesus. So the reading from verse 9: But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urged you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, You should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Uh, it goes on to talk about submission and uh, other things, but I, I just wanted to stop there and deal perhaps with this passage. So let's pray together. Lord, we just want to pause for a moment and thank you for the Bible that we have in our hands and that we can read and it can feed us day by day. And we thank you, Lord, that As the early church gathered around your word and they read the teaching of the apostles and letters were passed around churches. We thank you that even today, tonight, we have this letter from Peter, the apostle. And he is seeking to teach us. And so we ask for wisdom and we ask for your spirit's help as we hear his words and seek to interpret them in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever woken up out of a deep sleep and taken a moment to just realize where you are? What day it is? What country you're in? It happens to me quite often. Especially if I've had a dream, you know, a deep dream, and I wake up, and there's that sort of fleeting moment. Is it Sunday morning, and am I preaching? And there's a panic go through, you know, and I, I realize it's Wednesday, and I oh, whew. Sometimes it does really happen for real. I remember uh, as a young man starting Bible college at Spurgeon's College in uh, South Norwood, and... Uh, I remember waking up in my single room that first day and being very disorientated because uh, I was in a new place and uh, with new people that I'd never met before and I had to learn new things. Everything had changed. Everything was different. And in a way, as I have read this passage again and again this week and I've, and I've been asking Peter questions about this passage and um, grappling with it and seeking the Holy Spirit's leading. I I have this sense that after the glorious previous passage, which talked about living stone and and coming to him in chapter 2, and that wonderful affirmation of Peter to those believers that you are the chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because once they were not a people, they were alienated from God. They they were mostly pagans and now they have joined God's people. They are part of a new humanity in Christ Jesus. And everything has changed. As As if they've woken up and they're rubbing their eyes and thinking, who are we now? And how do we live? In this world, as those who now follow Jesus, who would say Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So this passage to me has that feeling of a kind of blinking, rubbing eyes. And right away, Peter gets down to business with them. About who we are and whose we are. And he begins to describe that once you have understood who you are in Christ. That you're part of God's world-changing purposes. It is vital to then understand not just who we are, but whose we are. And uh, Edward mentioned it this morning in his message about whose we are. Because as we have begun to follow Jesus, we are living for someone else now. Before I was living for Jesus, I was living for myself. But then I became a Christian and I was under new management. Everything had changed. And as I began to follow Jesus began to hear that call of Jesus to live differently where God has placed you. And for many years, as Peter would have known, he was a good Jewish lad, he would have known his Old Testament, the people of Israel many times had to live out their faith, their hope, and their communal life in exile under foreign rulers. And how... They worked that out, like Daniel did, if you know of his story, and his friends, or Nehemiah. And throughout this letter, Peter is so clear about his faith in Jesus, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises to Israel. In fact, he is the perfect Israel. And he has called to himself, from both Jews and Gentiles, a new community, a new people of God, a new family. But he calls them not only the chosen, the royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, but he says right at the beginning of his letter that we are foreigners, exiles, scattered, but the elect. And he picks up that uh, phrase again in this passage that we've read together. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, this is not your home. You are a foreigner here. If you belong to Jesus tonight, you are a foreigner here. This is not your home. We are exiles. But God is building his kingdom. And so Peter addresses this new early church, both Jews and Gentiles, the religious and the non-religious, who have come to faith in Christ Jesus as this new community. Dear friends, as foreigners and exiles, live differently. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Wherever you live, he's saying, live for God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Be different. Be holy. Be your new self in Christ Jesus. Be who you are in Christ Jesus. This word abstain that he uses is basically, literally means distance yourself ...from sinful desires. And these desires, say says Peter... ...seem to conduct a military-style campaign... ...against your true self. I don't know if you've ever seen it like that... ...that the sinful desires that we have... ...are like a military opposition... That we have to battle with. That we have to engage in kind of spiritual warfare. Because these, says Peter, seek to destroy, disable, disarm. They wage war against your soul. Very early on as a Christian, you realize that you have someone who opposes you. Wants you to fall. Wants you to stumble. Wants you to deny Christ. It's the enemy's strategy. Especially against new Christians. We see that all the time. People who come to faith in Christ, there's then that that there's a real battle. They weren't aware of the battle beforehand. But now they've come to Christ, they're aware of the battle. Live differently, says Peter, so differently that even if you are hated for it, despised or ridiculed, God will shine through. And I get the impression that Peter sees holiness and living for Jesus as an evangelistic tool. So that whatever people may think of you, they will see God in you. And somehow that will have an effect on them. And he says that they may too praise and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter sees that holiness and godliness and goodness as a witness. And we know that the opposite is true. I've heard so many people say to me, but, well, they, they say they're a Christian and that, you know, that's how they behave. As if to say, well, that, that's not a good replication of Jesus, is it? Someone uh, in one of the commentaries I read said, broken nets don't catch fish. Get you, you can ponder that. Well, Another said, half-hearted Christians don't make disciples. Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God and praise him on the day that he visits us. Those of you who came to the Standing Strong event, which is um, an annual celebration that we go to uh, with open doors, and I would encourage you all to come. It's the most brilliant day. It's not depressing at all. There are hard things said, but you come away so inspired by God's people around the world. And this year, there was a Korean lady who spoke, and her father was a pastor. But as she grew up, she she didn't know it because in North Korea, if you tell your children that you're a Christian uh, and they're encouraged every day at school to tell their teachers if their parents do anything like have a black book at home. Do Do they mumble quietly to themselves? Do they go out and meet with other people? And when she was 12 years old, she found a little black book in her parents' home. And she had been taught from an early age that she had to report that to the authorities. And she grappled with it. A 12-year-old, what do I do? And she chose to ask her father what the book was about. The father made that bold decision to share his faith with his 12-year-old daughter. And she too, became a follower of Jesus. In that same interview, she talked about her husband who was sitting on the front row to the right of us. And this amazing part of her story was that this man who became her husband was actually assigned to work alongside her father by the authorities. As a co-worker, you know, worked with him, but... He was there as a spy to report on anything unusual because they were a family of interest to the authorities. And yet every time he saw something that might be dubious, he couldn't bring himself to report it. And finally got into conversation with this girl's father and he too became a Christian and married The daughter. There was something about that man. That even though he didn't say anything about Jesus. Because he couldn't do. Spoke. To this guy who was there as a spy. Live such good lives among the pagans. That they will see your good deeds. And glorify God. Our mission field is slightly different. We don't have that fear upon our lives. And everyone we meet who is not yet a believer in Jesus is part of our mission field. But we know we're not going to speak to everyone we meet about Jesus and we're not going to try and manipulate the conversations to, you know, what did you have for Sunday lunch? We had lamb. Oh, let me tell you about the lamb of God. And, you know, we know we don't do that. But everything that we do, how we live is a witness to those who see us in our work. In our communities. And we might feel bad about that sometimes, you know. How many of us have taken the fish off our cars because we drive so badly, you know? (laughs) Or you spot a fish on a car that's driving badly. The Christians sold that car years ago, some pagan bought it, and, you know. We have, a, at the end of the Alpha courses, why do you, a questionnaire, and one of them is, why did you come on Alpha? And it's because someone brought them. Very rarely does someone just turn up, rock up, and say, I want to do Alpha. No, you know, it's because they have either been invited by somebody. Someone said on the most recent one, I was dragged by my friend. Hazel. Oh, was that, was that you? No, maybe, maybe that wasn't the right one. Maybe that wasn't the right one. But nearly always it's because a friend has been witnessing to them, but not necessarily in preaching the gospel to them, but just in who they are, in how they live, in the, the hope that they have, how they deal with certain situations. The peace and the love and the security that they have. encounter people who have meaning and purpose in their lives. And they want to know maybe what that's all about. Glowing Christians. When you look in the mirror, you don't see yourself glow. But other people can. They can see Christ in you and you glow. Luminous Christians. Jesus said, let your light shine before this world. So Peter encourages the believers, some of whom have come from very difficult backgrounds. And he says, I urge you to live differently as a witness for Christ. Because the world needs to see us. This new way of being human And then Peter goes on to talk about submitting to authority. This is part of the passage that I had a discussion with Peter about. How to live under rulers and authorities. Because our witness is not just to the one-to-one or the people that we meet, but it's to a wider audience. And I don't know if you noticed, but he says live as free people and then he says live as slaves in the same verse. Live as free people in Christ. And he's addressing people who are even slaves who are reading this. Live as free people. But then he says live as slaves to God even if you are free. But don't do evil. Do good. I know lots of people who sort of mock the church. When you talk about church as an institution, they've got lots of stuff to say, how bad it is, hypocritical it is, and how awful it is. And then they realize all the food banks across Great Britain are run by churches. And so much of the youth work that's done in our nation is done by churches. And the Cap Money Course, just seeing Martin in the back row there. Christians Against Poverty. Just encourages me so much that when they do things on debt now in the news, they're getting someone from Cap to speak. And it says, Christians Against Poverty. Because Christians have always been at the forefront, haven't they? Of being good news to our world. And we could go on so many other things. Peter seems to be saying, uh, make sure that by being good citizens, doing good, you shame those who out of folly or ignorance or hatred would oppose you as the church. Persecute you as the church. Yes, we are to be a revolutionary movement for the kingdom of God. A true force for good and for God and godliness and goodness in the world. But this thing about submitting to human authority, I think I know what Peter's getting at. But I did have to remind Peter about what happened in Acts 4 and 5. When he was dragged before the authorities, the rulers, the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, and he was told in no uncertain terms what he was to do and not to do. And he says, I will do what God tells me to do. Thank you very much. Uh, Peter, submit yourself to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him. What do you mean, Peter? Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Romans. He came to save the world. He didn't want to be a political figure because he was the savior of the world. And we, as the church, are to be salt and light within the world. Because there is a line, and Peter got to that line. If the state or if the authorities say what is contrary to what God says, then we have permission to say no. But we are to live as good citizens under authority. So that the only accusation that can be brought against us is not that we do evil, it's not that we do this or that we do that, it's that we follow Jesus. I think that's what Peter's getting at here. Live as good citizens under the authorities so that the only thing they can accuse you of is being a follower of Jesus because that's when you say, no, I cannot agree with you whether it's those in North Korea and the leader says, you bow to my statue and you worship me, otherwise you go to the prison camps. You are not allowed to have a Bible. You are not allowed to be a Christian. Well, Christians say, well, no, we we don't accept that at all. Or with Open Doors, when Karis and I took uh, books into Algeria, it was against the law in Algeria. But what did God want? What did God's people need? We do face those kind of dilemmas. In a way, Peter's saying, only try to break the law if it's contrary to God's. Whether that be in the civil rights movements and things like that. It got me thinking about all those kind of things. But this was the key that I came back to. Let them only have one accusation against us, the church. Is that we follow Jesus. And we stick to the authority of the Bible. That's all we have. And to remember that we are not victims but victors. Part of God's kingdom, his everlasting kingdom. We've read the book. We've got to the end. We win because Jesus wins. We are lit to live counter-culturally but not anti-culturally. It reminded me of that brilliant film, Hacksaw Ridge. If you've never seen it, get it. It's on Amazon or whatever and Netflix. The true story of a man who signed up to the army, but he refused to carry a gun. And he was mocked and ridiculed, and they tried to get him to give up, and they treated him horrendously, and he stuck in there. And he saved so many lives. And he came to be respected and honored. As someone who loves Jesus. Live out your life for Jesus. In the midst of the chaos. And sometimes we have to trust God with the final results. Peter, as he writes this letter, knows that persecution is coming in a big way. But he knows that behind all the persecutors... It's our real enemy. And he will escape Herod, but Peter will not escape Nero, the emperor who he says, honor the emperor. Came across this letter by a guy called Tertullian. It was just during one of the fiercest bouts of Roman persecution. He wrote it to the emperor in AD 197. And he writes, your cruelties merely prove our innocence. Our innocence of the crimes that you charge against us. This Lettice says, you recently sent a young Christian girl to a brothel keeper rather than to feed her to the lion's. You showed that you know we hate impurity more than death. The more you mow us down, the more we will grow. Who sees us die without inquiring why we do so? Who after inquiring does not embrace our teaching? After embracing our teaching does not desire to suffer with us for it. For this reason, we would like to thank you for passing sentence on us. And whenever we are condemned by you, we are acquitted by the Most High. I love that letter. Peter talks about a strange liberty. We are free to be slaves of God. We are victors and not victims. We don't live to rule here. That will come much later. We have no permanent home here. We are heading home to the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. We are exiles, foreigners, strangers. But one day, we will be home. But Peter says, dear friends, in this world, live for Jesus. So let's try, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your words. It challenges us and encourages us and...